The food service and hospitality industries are evolving, often in ways you've never heard of, until now. Our host and technovator, Rob Grimes, is the leading voice of global food service and hospitality technology. Powered by the International Food and Beverage Technology Association, IFBTA, the Accelerate podcast is where technology and ideas are shared, served with a side of new innovation. Welcome to the Accelerate podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Accelerate podcast powered by the IFBTA. I'm Rob Grimes, your host, and this week I'm really, really, really excited to have a conversation, actually our first conversation, with one of the great innovators of the artificial intelligence space, Stephen Smith, the CEO of StoryFile. So welcome to Accelerate. Well, thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. So who's going to tell the story of how we met? I mean, well, I can start or you can't. But you, you tell the story and I'll, I'll verify Okay. Now, as I've read online and, and uh, gotten to know you a little bit here, of course, you're the great storyteller. So you'll probably tell a better story than me. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, as you all know from our last uh, episode, I got to visit the CES show. And on the very last day, on the last aisle, and I got to tell you, I wasn't going to turn down that aisle, but I did because I was tired. It's, you know, CES is a big thing. The very last booth, I take a look and, and I see something that looks really interesting. So I start a conversation and I start the conversation. It actually wasn't with Steven, but with one of his people. And it was just an interesting technology that I think starts a conversation on artificial intelligence. It starts a conversation on storytelling. It starts a conversation that is highly applicable to the food and beverage and hospitality industries. So where I'd like to start is... First of all, maybe you could give a little bit of, of your background, but at the same time, I think that uh, there's a bit of a background that many people may not know about you uh, in the food and beverage industry. Yeah, Rob, um, I had this bright idea that I wanted to start a coffee shop in England when I was 18. Starbucks wasn't a thing at the time in England, but I you know, went to Italy, um, got this beautiful um, new machine, went back to this suburb in the city of Leeds, known for its tea. So I tried to persuade them to drink coffee and, um, you know, I was sitting there waiting to serve espresso and lattes and cappuccinos. And of course, everyone came in and ordered tea. So I was using the hot water spout for a while. I literally had to discount the lattes to virtually zero to get people to start drinking them. Um, but that led to something very interesting. I was selling more cakes than I was selling tea or coffee. And these were what we call special little cakes. They were handmade birthday cakes, anniversary cakes uh, for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And I thought, hang on a minute. What happens if we take these to like Hallmark stores? And, and within a year, um, I was making around about 15,000 handmade cakes a day um, for greeting card stores for supermarkets and for hospitality. And if you were getting on, to, for example, to an airplane in the 1990s out of Heathrow and it was your birthday, you would get one of our special little cakes because hospitality loved those things. So you started in the coffee business, but you did that for, what, 20 years? Yeah, actually, I had the um, uh, company for about 20 years. Um, we actually ended up, obviously, with a, a manufacturing and uh confectionery, bakery, um, employed about 120 people and uh, was distributing nationally in the UK. So it was, you know, that's how I earned my living for a very long time. 
Well, I have a feeling traveling back and forth uh, in the 90s to the UK, I might have actually had one of your cakes. I don't know that I ever had one of my birthdays on a plane, but I certainly uh, probably flew enough to uh, to come across uh, one of them on one of the flights. I'm sure you but did, anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, we're not really talking about food and beverage, but we are. But I think that your background is going to be very applicable. So how do you make the... Um, how do you make the jump in the technology? Well, actually what happened was I had a passion project on the side. Um, I got very interested in the history of the Holocaust. Um, and while I was running my business, I was also you know, doing postgraduate research on the side. I ended up doing a, writing a PhD actually on oral history, and in particular, the oral history of Holocaust survivors which ultimately turned into my career because what happened was I became one of the world experts in genocide broadly, the Holocaust specifically, and in particular, how do we tell that story that occurred through the lives of those that lived it and witnessed it, saw it and experienced it. Um, and so I was invited, um, having initially founded the UK Holocaust Centre, which was actually a philanthropic project of mine initially, um, it became something of a career, and um, after I let the, uh, the cake business go, uh, I was invited over to uh, the University of Southern California, where I was the executive director of Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation, which was the archive of 50,000 testimonies of survivors of the Holocaust, which I ran for about 12 years in Los Angeles. Had, had you expected to actually be in that specific area of, of going in the storytelling. I think that people recognize, of course, that the movie industry and, and Steven Spielberg is all about storytelling, but you really took something that was a passion and you wanted to uh, take that story forward, but you wanted to do it in a way that brought forward technology. So how did we find that? Well, that was the interesting thing. You know, I, I came to run the archive at USC because I was an expert in Holocaust testimony. Um, but actually, once I got into the building and started to look around, I realized I was running a tech company. Um, it was part of a university. It was an institute, the Institute of Visual History and Education, we called it. Um, but to enable that to happen, we had 235,000 individual tapes that were filmed in the 1990s that all had to get digitized. And then in addition to that, they had to be preserved. And a lot of us tend to think of digitization as being preservation, which actually couldn't be further from the truth because in fact, the newer the technology, the faster it rots. And in, in fact, we, we put our, you know, our memories onto these various media that we have onto disk drive, well, remember floppy disks? Floppy disks and then CDs and DVDs and then Blu-rays and, you know, and suddenly we, every few years, the medium changes, but it also deteriorates faster. And so we had this giant problem in that we couldn't possibly afford to have what was 113,000 hours, that's 13 years of uh, video material that we would have to update literally every few years because the medium was rotting. And so we created a data center, first of its kind, in which it would automatically update the files and refresh the files so that they were perfect to the point at which if you lost one pixel across a 10 terabyte tape, you would know that you had lost that one pixel and you would replace it. So we were able to then you know, create this giant data center to, to do that. And no, so as we know, well, but as we know about data centers and big data, which of course is a key word right now, 
I mean, you were really, if we're talking about the 90s here, uh, you know, you're really talking about big data early on and trying to figure out what to do with it. And this is probably before everything's being stored in the cloud and everything else that's out there, as you mentioned, on floppy disks and everything else. Yeah, there was no cloud. In fact, the first time we, we in, uh, digitized the archive, it was onto MPEG-1s. <laughs> so, you know, we, we were well ahead of our time. I'll tell you how ahead of the time the show foundation was. Uh, my colleague, um, Sam Gussman, who was the CTO, was writing some patents for this digital library and accidentally wrote the patent for video search and streaming online. And so we ended up with the patents that drive virtually every video server that you uh, use today in your lives, um, wherever you are. Uh, we ended up with a patent for it because we were the first organization to put a large, very large database of video online that needed to be searched and retrieved and played back. So if, if you're if you're putting that search and retrieve, and now you go ahead and you couple on top of that artificial intelligence, you know, machine learning. So is that where this all takes a turn? Yeah, in fact, um, what happened was in the, about a 10 years ago, um, I was working with um, a woman by the name of Heather Mayo who came to me, she was in the same field as me, of Holocaust uh, testimony. And she said, you know, I filmed somebody today, Holocaust survivor. I said, oh, great. She said, but I just realized something. After the filming, the camera was off and I was sitting across the kitchen table talking to her. I realized the conversation had a completely different tone and that my grandchildren will never sit across the table and have that conversation with Rose like I did today. I want to capture the conversation because the conversation is where we, is where we come closer to each other. It's more intimate. It's a way of discovering things about each other that we don't do when we just do a formal interview. And so we began a project at USC with the Shoah Foundation and Heather's company, which is called Conscience Display, and a really amazing lab at USC called the Institute of Creative Technologies, which does all sorts of amazing technology for military and gaming and uh, science and uh, medicine, actually, really interesting. By the way, that's sort of interesting because a lot of technology ends up coming from either healthcare or education or the military and then finds its way into the commercial market. So they had the lab there already to do that. Right, and, and they, were, they had a, a lot of talent there. So we put all this talent pool together and we said, okay, how do we create interactive holograms where you can capture the conversation that ultimately you can come back to. And we, we weren't talking of, you know, some kind of um, sci-fi type of hologram, but really trying to capture the, the beauty and the wonder of the human spirit and the human form in a way that you can converse and go deeper into that person's life or experience or knowledge or skill and drive the conversation like we all do every single day, because we've been learning through conversation and questions um, since the dawn of time. It's actually how we learn most naturally. And to try and find a natural way of doing something rather than something that would be sci-fi um, and bring us closer to those people in their lives. It's sort of the humanization. Uh, well, I mean, keeping, keeping the human story out there, but keeping the humanization in it, the experience, of dealing, you know, one-on-one -on -one with a person even after they're gone. Yeah, I had a very interesting conversation. I had this bunch of scientists around. I remember this, this very well. And they were telling us all the things that we could do. We, could, we can create this avatar. We can, we can give it a, a new voice. We can change. We can use text. And we can, you know, uh, make this into a more almost like a holographic puppet of the person. We said, hang on a minute. Stop. Stop. 
The secret of success here will be if you don't know there's technology involved in this and what you experience is this wonderful human being, then the technology has been successful. But if the technology is on the outside of this front and center and we're trying to make something that's smarter than us or better than us or we don't need to do that. There's nothing better than a human being. How can we use technology to support that experience and bring out the best in all of us? Well, you know, okay. So now, now we're going to get down to, now we're going to get down to the, the meat of this conversation because you've used a couple of key words here, but I, I think that perspective of if you don't know that you're looking at the technology, it's successful. Well, We've had a lot of debate in the hospitality industry of losing, of losing that connection with the guest. Uh, and I think what you're talking about here is not to know that you have technology, but actually keeping, uh, keeping the connection between the guest and that personal touch, which is part of maybe each company's culture, if you want to look at it that way. I was talking to a client the other day who said, you know, we just spent the last 10 years trying to take humans out of our business uh, to simplify it. And we realized that actually as we've done so, we've lost the heart of our business because it's all about people. And now we've got to find a way of putting the humans back in. And so in a way, what this technology does, and I'll, I'll just explain it very briefly because not everybody will be familiar. So what we do, we, we ask a set of questions to a subject subject could be somebody historical or somebody has a particular skill or they could be for example a virtual uh, concierge and they answer the questions using their you know their, their character and their personality so it's, it's not an avatar it's the person as i'm speaking to you right now and we capture all of that and we put it into a database now what happens is that the ai doesn't search through the questions it searches through all the answers um, and what it does, it enables us to get the best answer possible from this um, set of questions um, to, to create a conversation, which includes conversational elements, you know, like we go back and forward and say hi and we say thanks and, you know, just those things that make it very natural. Um, and what happens is then using speech recognition, when I come to talk to this interview, we'll call it, um, then I am able to have a conversation with that person without them being there. It's what we call an asynchronous conversation. What it means is that you can then, if you're a professor or you're a business leader or a founder, imagine you start your new job at work, everybody gets to speak to the, the CEO on their first day at work. What business does that? Well, you can now with a technology like this because the CEO gives three hours of his or her time, um, puts into this database all the sort of things that people might want to ask him or her about the business and what matters to them. And then the very first thing they do on onboarding is talk to the CEO. Well, so, yeah, but wait a second. So that's what they do in onboarding, assuming that the CEO is there. I could see that one, you know, of course, being very functional and very useful because the CEO can't be any, everywhere. But take the CEO out of the equation. How about, you know, the culture of the company, which may be by somebody who may or may not be around anymore, uh, but you're still able to have that conversation with them as if they were there and they're able to, uh, to give you the essence by which they created, you know, that company and, and the culture that they want, which three CEOs down, you know, we see this all the time, three CEOs down and, and, and the original founder, if they're still around, comes back because the culture is being lost. 
Yeah, I um, was a, just got back from Bentonville, Arkansas, a few moments ago, um, where um, I've been working with the Walmart company to develop what we call a digital recreation of Sam Walton. They call him Mr. Sam. So what we do in a situation like this is we work with, in this case, the Walmart Heritage Group. We go through all Sam's notebooks and letters and speeches and videos. We should point out that Sam is no longer with us. Right. 30 years ago, he passed away. But his, you know, videos of him talking to his leadership team are there. And he used to go in the store and someone would film him, you know, talking to the, the, the team in the store. And so we took all of that and um, from that said, OK, if you were a Walmart uh, employee today, what would you want to know from the founder? And we then found all of these answers in his original writings and speeches and so forth. We then assembled that. Into a, into a script, and we had an actor who was a method actor who played the role of Sam. And then using artificial intelligence, we then swapped out his face and swapped out his voice, so it's actually Sam's original voice. And now Sam appears in the Walmart uh, Museum in Bentonville, life-size, as a hologram, and does, as I witnessed just two days ago, management training um, with the uh, co-2022-2023 manager cohort that was coming through Bentonville just a couple of days ago. And they sit and talk to him for about half an hour and they're talking to the founder in, in, in his own words. And it's just spectacular, I have to say. Spectacular. Well, I think that, uh, first of all, I think our, our subscribers and audience, uh, you know, if they're like me, you know, um, they are always exploring and seeking uh, new and innovative technology, which you are at the forefront of, uh, of these uh, sorts of things. And what I'd like to do is actually just move our conversation slightly off of where it is today, but where it might go. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's within our industry. It just so happens that you happen to do work and happen to have come from our industry. But, you know, there's a lot of things out there that just um, really grab people and, and get them to say, wow. And, and I should point out, by the way, that, you know, if they see those kinds of things or any of our listeners see it, you should actually share it with me directly at coolideas at robertgrimes.com so we can explore and learn and share and start our own conversation on it. Uh, it might find its way to another Accelerate podcast uh, just like this one is. And also I should point out that speaking of Accelerate, if you want to subscribe or if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for our show, you should send the note uh, to us at accelerate at foodabletv.com. So with that, we are going to change the perspective here because I think you've actually laid it out as to what's possible. Now, I do have a question for you. You took Sam and, you, and he's 30 years uh, gone and you looked at the files and you put them together. But you also mentioned that there was a bunch of things that were available uh, at USC that you found and uh, some were created for other places. So in today's, uh, today's age... Couldn't you take Sam and all of those recordings and all those videos and not use a method actor, but instead uh, actually create virtual Sam, uh, putting a compilation of that together and also allowing it um, to use AI and, and, and uh, some speech to be able to put together things that he has said, not in the specific question, but to answer other ones, uh, understanding what's being asked. Yeah, so you can use any data source, actually, Rob, and you can use artificial intelligence to interrogate it. The thing is, this, you know, we're hearing a lot about artificial intelligence because of GPT and um, OpenAI's technologies and other companies like OpenAI. But I just want to just 
give your, your listeners here just a bit more context. So the, the, the artificial intelligence basically is only as intelligent as the sources that it's examining. And we've built our whole internet, which is the basic source for all of this, on information. Let me give you an example. I went in to look for a, um, it was actually the story of the beginning of the, the war um, with Vietnam, 1964, August the 5th. And there was an operation called Operation Pierce Arrow. So I asked Google. And I got 3,420,000 3, you know, responses, which made me work because then I had to go to each of those, well, top 10 websites and find out more about it. I then went to GPT, asked it the same question about Operation Pierce Arrow. In three seconds, I got two fantastic, beautifully written paragraphs um, about, <laughs> about uh, Operation Pierce Arrow. Then I went to a story file, and that's what we call the, uh, the, these interactive interviews that we do at Storyfile, of a gentleman by the name of Everett, who was in the first plane on the first day on the first attack, describing his moment as he, as he left that aircraft carrier and what his heart pounding and he was hanging onto this, this trigger as he you know, let loose the first missile, realizing he was going to war on behalf of our nation on that day. Um, you know, just beautiful, touching, touching uh, narrative. GPT couldn't do anything with it because it's not emotionally intelligent. It doesn't really understand what's going through uh, Everett's mind at that moment. It can't convey back to us other than information that it derives from that piece. And so this is where the beauty of human storytelling is something that we have to treasure and preserve and try not to replace it with avatars, bots, and droids just because we can. Let's get to the bottom of who those people were because and are who we are today and tell our stories in a way just like Everett told his story that later we can come back to and um, really hear what it was really like to be a part of that operation that day. And that relates to every single person's life. There's 8 billion stories on this planet happening right now. You don't have to be, you know, in that first plane on that first day making history. Whatever you're doing in your family or in your business or in your day-to-day -day professional life is a part of your unfolding story. And I just don't think we treasure it enough and we certainly shouldn't replace ourselves with a clever piece of ai well i'm sitting here thinking of all the possibilities of what you just said um you know when it when somebody tries to picture in their mind's eye uh, what something might look like or what it might be or maybe it doesn't even exist you know they sometimes go to the movies and I'm just trying to think right now, um, and you and I talked about this at CES, there was a movie, I think it came out in 1980 or slightly thereafter called The Final Cut. And it was a Robin Williams movie and it was one where uh, he was taking the chips out of people's brains, which it seems that chips in brains are certainly a possibility here, although maybe a short-lived one uh, as brains get connected uh, through other means. And he was able to retell their life. And that's what you're actually doing. Uh, but he was retelling their life because uh, the chip's connected to the eye. The eye sees things. So he's basically putting on a screen, if you want to look at it that way, somebody's life. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not necessarily interacting with it. So where does all this go? I mean, if, if it's there today, we actually could recreate people and actually experiences in places that are long gone as well. Uh, if there's the recordings available, which things like um, I'm always amazed by Ancestry, what you can find out there uh, that exists. Uh, but there's a lot of things to find out there. So so where does this actually end up? Well, I think two things we, we have to think about. First of all, what, what's already there in the past that we can access using AI and reconstruct? 
Um, and there's, there's, there are some attempts at this right now. Uh, my heritage has been doing work on that. They're an ancestry type company that's given the opportunity for people to bring photos to life. And actually, what was interesting was my father, who has dementia and uh, who lost his mother when he was 18 years old. I recently reconstructed his mother's story as told by his mother through photographs that I you know, did with my heritage. And he, he just loves that. He just sits there watching it. It's about three minutes long, and he listens to what sounds like his mom. Actually, she's just a, a, you know, a voice in their library. But her photograph talks to him and tells the story of his childhood, and he loves it. So there's lots of lots of utility from these tools that we don't have to get. I don't think we have to worry about AI. I don't think the bots are coming for us. I think actually it's an amazing tool that we can put to you to use. But there are ethical considerations around this. So where is where is the line between you know truth and lies, or should we say fantasy and and history? Um, where where can we gain? knowledge and wisdom using AI or uh, delight our customers, you know, in, in the industry that you're in, how do we delight people uh, through the stories of other people and their lives? Um, and not just think of it as something that's sort of an advanced tool for, you know, um, other industries, but think about how, I don't know, I, I like, for example, our virtual concierge that we work with, you know, it's just fantastic to have somebody who's like a, thinking about, um, I say thinking about, they're not thinking anything, they're a video, but having thought, you know, really thoughtful way of welcoming you into a space that otherwise might be a void uh, or, or that you might be in a line, for example, and then extending that hospitality out through these AIs, which don't replace a human being ever, but can also nevertheless be warm and welcoming and, you know, uh, have a great experience with. So, But, but ever, ever is a long time. Because uh -huh. if you think of, and, and again, back to movies, if I think of movies like Bicentennial Man, and you said earlier in this conversation about the emotion, right, mm. that we're not going to be able to get it. Well, isn't it possible that as we start to study the habits and record all these people that you start to also be able to develop that database of emotion that can be inserted, you know, into it and 10 years, 20 years from now, in fact, you know, it is there. And... The question would be why, because we we have the we have this amazing ability to communicate with each other. The conversation we're having now will only happen once because you are who you are and I am who I am, and we have our own characters and personalities, and we're exploring this with you know the, the with that excitement as we think about the possibilities. Now, why do we need to create? A, an AI or a version of ourselves to come up with that when we've had we've had hundreds of thousands of years of evolutionary biology that's created this amazing thing called the brain that has allowed us to uh, access communication skills that we call language with all of the uh, physiognomy that's how our faces and our bodies move and how we read and listen to each other and watch each other that is truly amazing and so I think we shouldn't do ourselves a disfavor here. With and by the way, I'm, I'm, I run an AI company, so <laughs> yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm not hey, down listen, on it. I'm not down I'm, on I'm it. Thinking, but I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I'm thinking about the counterpoint on this. I'm thinking about well, the immediate thing that came to mind is: Do people want to live forever? Well, that's a whole different discussion, I'm sure. And as technology evolves, and we can replace parts and stuff, and maybe we can move from one body that dies to another body that lives. I don't know what it is, but this is also a way of capturing that and maybe bringing somebody back to life in, in a form that in fact they can deliver service and they can interact. 
Um, but you're at the start of this. And if I think 30 years out, where does it actually go? Yeah, well, you know, a few years ago, the first of the Holocaust survivors that we interviewed at USC passed away. And I, I, I was sitting there with my finger on this, you know, mouse button, basically, about to speak to somebody who was life-size as a hologram in front of me who had not yet been buried. And I asked him a question about his legacy. And he said something along the lines of, you know, life is tough. You don't know what it's going to throw at you. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. But all I want my legacy to be is next time you're in a tough spot, work through it because life's worth living. And I went, wow. Uh, so I asked him another question and another. Um, and what I realized was that as he, as he looked back at me out of this screen, I wasn't, I wasn't missing him, although he was gone. I wasn't trying to replace him, but I'd got something of his essence that I had never experienced in any place ever before. And one day you will experience this because these interviews will, you know, of all of our lives will be everywhere and all of our phones and our computers at some point. And you'll realize what an amazing, amazing experience it is to be able to keep those, those memories in this new format play it forward, Rob. And I think you can enrich that in all kinds of ways. Um, like we were just talking about with um, Sam Walton, by which you bring all of that body of work into this visualization of Sam, which looks remarkably real, I have to say, um, and gives him truthfulness. And um, it's an extension of his values and his skills. And, you know, it was just, and I think if somehow we don't try and keep ourselves going for the sake of it, but treasure who we are and treasure what we've got. We've got a lot to offer in the future. Yeah, but we also have a lot to offer, but we also have a lot to pass on. And I think what you're showing us is the ability that even when we're gone, we can pass on. I think the advice, well, you said the, the Holocaust survivor, you know, who passed away wasn't even buried yet. And yet you asked that that thought-provoking question uh, and they gave you an answer, but that answer also can be shared. And I think that does get to the ability, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, whether it's our industry, to be able to share and, and keep those things that make us us, which is what you said before, which is why maybe we're not going to be replaced uh, in it, but to be able to share and have that live on, including Absolutely. a business. Absolutely. And businesses are made up of people and people who spend the vast majority of their day together and they are serving other people through their business. And so actually it's where we connect most in our lives is through our businesses. And I think we have a mis misunderstanding of where we're business, where we think of it as like, this is the tool for making money. Actually, it's the place where we live together and work together most of our lives. And making a business uh, tell its story through the people that are part of it is also another way just to say, this is not just a, a, an empty shell with a balance sheet. This is a group of people who believe in a cause and have a mission and bring joy through, you know, hospitality in your case and, and food and wine and drink, whatever the things are that you're bringing joy to people's lives through, that is worth celebrating and it's worth telling actually. Well, I think that um, you've certainly set our table for this, but but before we wrap up on this, I'm, I'm curious because you clearly, you saw a technology that would work for something that you had a passion in. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm glad to hear that I think you still have a passion for the little cakes and uh, the food and beverage industry. I suspect you probably do. Somebody told me the other day, everybody's got to eat, but you were making, you know, handmade, you know, really specialty thing. Uh, but I'm curious. So 
what is it that you are personally passionate about when it comes to technology and innovation? What do you think, you know, is going to be the next best thing besides what you are doing? You know, where, where does this go or what do you think uh, that we should be looking at? Well, if you think about the way, the way in which the world works, you know, uh, there is only history and there is only business and there are only um, all these activities that we're involved in because we live um, and because we are curious. The curiosity of the human, of the human being is what's enabled us to discover things about the world that were unimaginable even a century ago. And so curiosity for me is at the heart of everything. And what I would like to do and what I involve myself in with AI doing these story, this storytelling is making the opportunity for all of us to learn from one another. Imagine you ask a question of somebody that you don't know every day. Somebody who might be a different identity to you or in a different business to you or had a different life experience to you. So the big goal here is what we call the archive of humanity, where all of us answer questions about our lives doesn't have to be a five-day interview like we did with the Holocaust survivors. It could be just one answer to one question for one nugget that you have that you think is worthy of sharing with the world. You put eight billion of those together in one place, and then you don't end up with the internet of information. What you end up with is the internet of experiences and lives. And that is what makes the world go round. And that's how I would like to see AI being used. And that is what makes the hospitality and the food and beverage industry go around as well, uh, those pieces. So I have to tell you that uh, you've given a lot to think about, and this conversation has me thinking about a bunch of other things as well, and I suspect that those listeners are doing that too. I want to thank you for sharing your view with us today, but I will tell you that that final word of curiosity, which is what really makes these things happen, um, it is curiosity that brought us to meet on the last day, on the last dial at CES. And Stephen, I, I just want to thank you for sharing your view and some of your thinking. And you're doing some very interesting things that I think are going to set the table or, or make the base for tomorrow. This podcast is brought to you by the International Food and Beverage Technology Association. The IFBTA is the industry's voice of technology within the food and beverage industries, providing thought leadership as your single impartial go-to resource. The IFBTA offers in-person and online communities to connect with your peers, exchange on all-encompassing global technology directory and an industry-wide professional education certification program. The bottom line is the IFBTA is your place to gather, learn, and share. So Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Accelerate powered by the IFBTA. And I'm Rob Grimes, your host, and I look forward to our next accelerated conversation together. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. It's been a pleasure.